Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. Tonight we're in Revelation Revealed. This is actually part 14. I said last week was part 14, but I was wrong. This is part 14. We're looking at chapter 8. We may get to chapter 9 tonight. And I'm going to be clarifying some things. We're going to have to clarify some things to move on into these next chapters dealing with the Antichrist and the beast and false prophet and those kinds of things. And so I'm going to be covering some ground that's kind of laying the, the foundation for what is to come. So let me say a prayer and we'll jump right into it. Father, thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness, for your word, for this book of Revelation. I pray that you would just open our eyes, Lord, the eyes of our hearts to see what the truths are in here. And just, Lord, let there be an excitement about your soon return. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. All right, so a little review and introduction. We looked at the opening of the seals beginning in chapter 6. We saw that there's the heptatic structure in the book of Revelation, meaning groups of sevens, seven descriptions of Jesus in chapter 1, seven spirits of, uh, uh, before the throne of God in chapter 1, seven churches of Asia Minor, chapters 2 and 3, seven seals. We see uh, beginning in chapter 6, seven angels. We'll see that tonight. Seven trumpets. We'll see tonight. Seven bowls. We'll see probably next time. And many more sevens. And I mentioned how that there is a parenthesis between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. It, it's, it's one chapter, chapter 7. That's the parentheses, the 144,000. We'll see the parentheses again uh, between the sixth and the seventh trumpets, uh, trumpets. And we'll see also a parentheses between the sixth and seventh bowls uh, up in chapter 16. Now the seals, trumpets, and bowls are the judgment of God. Let's just deal with that straight up. They're the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, which throughout the Old Testament is referred to as the day of the Lord. Everybody say the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is, is a day of retribution. It's a day of reckoning. It's a day of judgment, wrath. Joel 3.14 is a familiar text that deals with the day of the Lord, and it, it says this, multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. I used to preach that, and it was kind of like, there are people out here who haven't made their minds up in the valley. It's time to make your mind up. But that's not what this text is saying. It's saying there are people in the valley of decision where God is judging them. They've already had the chance to make up their mind, and now they're being judged by God. For the day of the Lord is near, the valley of decision. The sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish their brightness. We see that over and over. And there are many other day of the Lord passages in the Old Testament. But it's important to remember the day of the Lord, listen, will take place after the rapture of the church. We saw that in Revelation 4. And uh, we, we looked at how the, the church, the bride, is spared from the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb. Which is what Paul said, I do want to read this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 10. But concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. 
For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Everybody say wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, live or die, we should live together with Him. You see, we don't have to fear the great tribulation or the day of the Lord. We are spared from that. And the the day of the Lord, the great tribulation, those speak of the same time frame. And and it's the, the, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls. And those are the same things that Jesus mentioned in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, really, even in the same order regarding the Great Tribulation. Are you with me? Now, back to the 144,000 of chapter 7. Remember, there were 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And as I stated to Mr. Dan's chagrin, the tribe of Dan is missing. And some say it's Perhaps because the Antichrist will rise up from the tribe of Dan. Dan. Because Jacob prophesied over his sons and said that Dan is a serpent who will strike. Remember the seed of the woman and the idea of the snake always being at war? However, in Ezekiel, Ezekiel mentions the distribution of land among the 12 tribes during the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, we'll get to that, which, which begins at the very end of the tribulation. And, and so apparently Dan comes back into the fold, comes into good graces, and you get your land back. Tribe of Dan. <laughs> A lot of jokes going through my mind. I'm going to move on. So there's this space between the sixth seal and the seventh seal, and that space is the whole of chapter 7. God begins dealing strongly with Israel during this time. And the 144,000, obviously Israel, are sealed. And they lead a worldwide revival where people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are saved in the Great Tribulation. Now, the church has already been raptured. Now, let's pick it up in chapter 8 with the opening of the seventh seal. Verse 1. And this is the only verse I'm going to read for a little bit because i got to deal with some stuff. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. What a strange little verse. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, I grew up hearing that this was immediately following the rapture of the church and because we were just so awestruck, you know, at streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl and in my mansion, because I'm going to have a mansion, you know. We used to sing that song, just build my mansion. Anybody know that? Next door. I'm singing the wrong melody. To Jesus. Remember that? <laughs> 
Uh, so, some of you, a, a couple of nods. I, I didn't do it justice, but... But the, the mansion, I, we were so awestruck, I always thought that that 30 minutes was, we were just speechless for half an hour. Anybody else ever heard that? We were just speechless for half an hour just because of the splendor of it all. So uh, we've got to cover some stuff and, and deal with this, so just follow me. A couple of things. The Bible says in Psalm 90 and 4 and 2 Peter 3 and 8 that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. But there are other scriptures where a day equals a year. For instance, in Numbers 14, 33, and 34, the children of Israel were told that they would wander in the wilderness one year for every day that they searched out the land. So 40 days turned into 40 years. There are other places where a year equals a day. Ezekiel was told, thank God I wasn't Ezekiel. Ezekiel was told to lie on his left side for 390 days to bear the iniquity of Israel. 390 days, a day for every year. And then when he was done with that, the Lord said, then you're to roll over on your right side and you need to spend another 40 more days to bear the iniquity of Judah. Poor Ezekiel, right? You ought to be like, oh, Lord, this, this is hurting. Like, can I roll up? Nope. It's supposed to hurt, son. You're bearing the iniquity of 40 years or 300 and whatever. It's like crazy. 390 days, 390 years, and then 40 more. And then in Daniel 9, we see something that's very prophetic. We're going to see this some more, y'all. We see 70 weeks, literally at 77s. And we see that a day represents a year and that a week of seven days is seven years. Now, I'm going to throw a chart at you right now. And I have to ask the question, what is a Bible study on prophecy without a Bible study chart? And what is a Bible study chart on prophecy on the big screen without my laser pointer? So let's take a look at Daniel's 70 weeks. Somebody needs to get a picture of this. Who would have ever thunk it, right? Who would have ever thunk it? But here we go. Daniel's 70 weeks, okay? Now, it, it, you've, got, you've got the idea of 69 weeks, okay? And every, uh, every day is equaling, you've got uh, 483 Years, forget solar right now. You've got 483 years from the rebuilding of Jerusalem, which is what was prophesied in the book of Daniel. <laughs> That's hilarious. What was prophesied in the book of Daniel, uh, you've got this the, the seven weeks prophesied in the book of Jeremiah. You've got the beginning here, and it goes for this the 77s for 483 years, seven weeks here of rebuilding. And then 434 more years here. See that? 49 years, 434 more years until here. When Messiah was cut off, it's the death of Jesus. The death of Jesus took place here. And then there is this church age which has a gap. There's a, uh, there is a week missing. Seven years missing. The seven years are the great tribulation. Are you with me? 
In other words, there was a prophecy. Just go look it up in the book of Daniel. There was a prophecy of these 70 weeks, and 69 of them were fulfilled until Jesus came. I'm talking about to the day. These are down to the very day. Prophesied uh, hundreds of years in advance to the day. So you have to the day when Jesus would die on the cross prophesied. And then a gap, the church age, a prophetic gap. And then at the beginning of the great tribulation, Daniel's 70th week picks up again. And at the end of it comes the thousand-year reign of Christ. We'll spend some more time on this, taking a look at this. I got this chart from Dr. David Reagan of Lion and Lamb Ministries. I followed him for many years. But Jesus the Messiah was cut off at the end of the 69th week. You've got this gap prophetically speaking. And it's like the prophetic time clock stopped. But really the 70th week was just put on hold, on reserve. And it will start with the rapture of the church. When the church leaves, the clock starts ticking. The 70th week transpires the day of the Lord, the great tribulation. When Jesus said, listen to me, no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man shall appear, Acts 1-7, or somewhere in there. Notice, there is a day, and there is an hour when the Son of Man is coming back for the rapture of the church. We rise to meet Him in the air. And that's when the great tribulation picks up. That's when the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are released. That's the beginning of the wrath of God. So, there are some fascinating parallels that go along with this. A little detour, but I think it's amazing and it's worth it from the book of Joshua. Now, I got uh, this was pointed out to me from Chuck Missler of Koinonia House. Fantastic stuff. Let's detour for a moment in the book of Joshua. What is the name of the lead guy in the book of Joshua? Joshua, right? His name is Joshua, which is also in the Hebrew, Yahashua, which is a variant form of Yeshua, which is where we get the name Jesus. The name Jesus is Yeshua. The book of Joshua features a military commander who is dispossessing usurpers. The land did not belong to them, and Joshua came to take it from them. That's like what Jesus is doing. That's what's going to happen during the Great Tribulation. It's a seven-year campaign. If you look in the book of Joshua, it's a seven-year campaign. The Great Tribulation is seven years. In the book of Joshua, it's a campaign against a confederacy of nations. If you study it very carefully, you'll see that originally it was ten nations. but And that's very significant if you take it in light of Revelation 13 and 17, going back to Daniel 2 and, and, and 7. But to Joshua, those nations merged into seven. But originally they were ten. And so here you have in the book of Revelation this ten-nation confederacy. In the book of Joshua, they sent in two spies. And the two spies got Rahab saved. In the book of Revelation, we're going to see there are two witnesses. And the two witnesses are going to get a lot of people saved. Joshua and Revelation both have seven trumpet 
events. And they're preceded by silence. The silence in heaven. Silence as they walked around the walls. You know, shut your mouth, don't say a word, and then shout. So here you have silence preceding trumpets in Joshua, silence preceding trumpets in the book of Revelation. Joshua's enemies organized under a leader in Jerusalem, Adonai Zedek, the Lord, the Lord of Righteousness is what the name means. And he was ultimately defeated with hailstones and fire from heaven. There were signs in the sun, the moon, etc. And so you see the same thing in Revelation. You have the Antichrist who is leading a confederation. And then you see the supernatural in the, 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 the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls. You see all these cosmic events taking place. The, the, in the book of Revelation, the kings uh, hid in caves. We see in the tribulation, rocks fall on us. And it was a prelude. Joshua was the prelude to the monarchy. The rise of a king, David. And David was a prophet and a king. But he also went into the tabernacle and ate the showbread, which was privileged to the priest. So he stepped into that role, even though it didn't look like he was supposed to, but he was fulfilling a type of Jesus, who is a prophet. When he was in his earthly ministry, he was the prophet. And then now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and is our intercessor that makes intercession for us continually. But one day, y'all, he will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and all the kingdoms of this earth shall become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Well, he'll step into his kingly role. It's fascinating. Now, you've got to keep in mind that to the Greek mind, prophecy sounds like this. Make a prediction and then watch it come to pass. Make a prediction and then watch it come to pass. But in the Jewish mind, prophecy was more about patterns. And like feast days, Yom Kippur, Feast of Tabernacles. It was these feast days and these patterns. Go in a certain way, do it a certain way. And in that is prophetic implications, types and shadows and pointing to the future. So in the Hebrew Bible, Joshua is the first book that is considered to be part of the prophetic books. Remember that terminology, the law and the prophets. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the law, Joshua, the prophets, is prophetically speaking of a day that is coming. Now, let's pick up with verse 2 in Revelation 8. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now, these seven angels are ranking angels. They are special angels, and they had a job to do. Perhaps it was under the direction of Gabriel, a trumpet-blowing angel. And then there's this other angel who had a golden censer who stood before the altar of incense in the heavenly tabernacle. And he was given much incense, and he mixed it and offered it to the Lord along 
with the prayers of the saints. And the prayers of the saints arose before God. And then suddenly the angel filled his censer with fire from the altar and then hurled it towards the earth. And there were noises and lightnings and thunders and just this disruption, even an earthquake. And then the angels, after that, prepared to sound their trumpets. And their trumpets are trumpets bringing judgment and wrath. Now, the prayers rise before the throne of God. That's a beautiful picture of the way prayers work. Incense, prayers. In in the high church, the Roman Catholic church, the Episcopal church, a, a lot of churches, they'll swing the incense and fill the place with smoke. And that's the idea It's that Old Testament idea of of incense and prayers going up before the throne of God, a sweet-smelling savor. And worship, obedience, and prayer is, those are sweet-smelling savors to our God. But the prayers that we're looking at here in Revelation are the prayers of the saints that we looked at last week, the prayers of the martyrs. And do you remember what they were praying? They were praying, Lord, avenge us. Get them, God. Oh, yeah. Vengeance. Retribution. And brothers and sisters, the Lord responded to their prayers. You talk about your prayers being awesome. Well, it's awful quiet in here. But you talk about your prayers being more powerful than you realize. They were praying, Lord, Lord, avenge us. We have lost so much. This Antichrist is dominating, wiping us out. We're having revival, but he's killing us as fast as we get saved. And so these angels come on the scene, and the prayers are coming up before God, and that angel gets a command, throw the fire into the earth, and the fire comes and consumes people. It's the fire of God's wrath, and the trumpet players get ready to blow their trumpets. This is amazing. With the first trumpet, the earth's vegetation is decimated. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. Now we see hail and fire often in, in judgment in the Old Testament, but here you've got it also mingled with blood, and, and it burns up a third of the trees and all the green grass, I mean, Brendan would be out of a job. Marlon would be out of a job. Darren would be out of a job. You know, we've got some others. But but uh, the, the green, all of the green grass is, is gone. And a third of the trees, it's absolutely devastating. Talk about deforestation. Talk about environmental damage. It's the judgment of God. Just like that. I'm just trying, I always try to put myself there, like imagine that. A third of the tree, third of the trees in my yard, all the green grass is gone. Third of the trees back here, all gone. It's just twigs, you know, it, it would look so barren on the whole earth. And then with the second trumpet, the oceans and the seas, the salt water is assaulted. Verses 8 and 9, then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood 
and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed? So is this, a, it's a burning mountain? Is this an asteroid or a meteor that's directed, comes down? A third of the living creatures in the sea die? It's incredible. There are about a million species of creatures that live in the ocean. That means there are billions and billions of individual creatures that live in the ocean. And one-third of them die? No wonder the sea is turned into blood. A third, then it says, a third of the ships were destroyed. According to... Now, now listen, people tr- will, will um, allegorize and, 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 and take this and, and, and try to, to, to make it, you know, signifying something or another. I, I think we're better off to, to go as literal as, as we can, as much as we can. Because if, if we start allegorizing everything, everything can mean anything, right? And so just trying to wrap my mind around this, notice a third of the earth's ships were destroyed. According to statusthat.com, there are over 52,000 in 2017, 52,000 merchant ships registered in the world. Maybe another 10,000 military ships or so, subs, etc. And hundreds of thousands of private vessels, if not millions, yachts, fishing boats, etc. And a third of them are destroyed. I mean, as if we would want to go into the bloody sea to begin with, right? It's already a a mess. It's filled with death. Think of those expensive yachts. Think of those beachfront resorts and homes. You know, like Malibu, Maui, the French Riviera, Riviera, Monte Carlo, Capri, Grand Isle, right? Biloxi. Think about it. So... It's a mess. And then the third trumpet sounds right on the heels of that. It's, and the fresh water is what gets it this go around. Look at verses 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So is this another meteor? I don't know, but it's a great star falling from heaven, a a bright, uh, burning-like torch, mountain, some object falls, a star from heaven, and and it's on the fresh water. There are 165 major rivers around the world, and a third of them are destroyed. The, The waters become bitter or contaminated. Think of the Mississippi over here. I remember when the Mississippi was rising and Prior to the 2016 flood, we used to drive out to the levee just about every evening, me and Valerie and the kids, and we'd, we'd get up, run up the levee, and look, wow, look how high the river's gotten this time. The mighty Mississippi River, one of the greatest rivers in the world, a third of the rivers are going to be destroyed. They're going to be contaminated. Uh, and, and wormwood is an actual shrub that has an unpleasant smell and a bitter taste. It, it messes up the water. Now, incidentally, Chernobyl is Russian for wormwood. Wormwood in Russian is Chernobyl. Now, I'm not convinced that this has anything to do with this verse, but it is interesting. Some do. Irvin Baxter of endtime.com. Different ones have speculated. 
But think about it. Talk about digging water wells. You know, that's a big deal in church world, going and digging water wells in third world countries and places that need water. Imagine if a third of the rivers are smitten, the water's all messed up. Water will be at a premium. And then with a fourth trumpet, the heavens are smitten. I want to be out of here. I'm just telling you, I don't want to be here. I don't want to see all this. I want to be watching from the mezzanine, you know, like take a break for a moment. I love you, Jesus. Oh, that is awful. Thank you, Jesus, for your salvation, you know. like <laughs> With the fourth trumpet, the heavens are smitten, verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. These are cosmic events. What's the physics of this? I have no idea. Can can God do it? He made it. He can destroy it. He can tweak it. Joshua made the sun stand still. We say, well, the sun can't stand still. He made the earth stand still. Call it what you want. You know, if it's the earth or the sun, whatever, the sun stood still. And Joshua was a prophetic view of the great tribulation and the conquest, the reconquest, the taking back of the earth. Now, I want to go ahead and acknowledge a very clear parallel. You may have already picked up on this, but have you noticed how similar these things are to another story in your Bible in the book of Exodus, the ten plagues? It's really quiet in here. You can answer me. Did you see that? There's a, there's a parallel there. Think about it. Think of the prophecy again in terms of patterns. The tribulation is called Jacob's trouble in Isaiah, Jeremiah. Israel cries out to God and they're heard. So here you have Jacob in trouble in Egypt in Exodus. They cry out to God. God hears them. We see that in Exodus, Jeremiah 31 talks about the people, the, Lord, the people crying out to God for help. And God's primarily dealing with Israel in the tribulation. God commands oppressors to let them go, Isaiah 43, 6. Two witnesses perform miracles before enemies. You remember Joshua brought his brother. They go before Pharaoh, perform miracles. We see two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Enemies uh, also perform miracles, those evil Magicians in Egypt do miracles, and the Antichrist has lying signs and wonders. There are judgments from God. God protects his people, and those plagues parallel the judgments. Water turned to blood, frogs on land and in homes, lice, flies, diseases, boils, sores, uh, thunder, hail. We're going to see locusts, darkness. Hearts are still hardened after all this, just the same way Pharaoh's heart was hardened And multitudes die. Israel eventually is delivered. So there are these parallels. Now look with me to verse 13. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? Wow, it's cosmic. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. Oive, oive, oive. To the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. Now, these three woes correspond to the three remaining trumpets. The trumpets are bad, but they're really just a warning of worse things 
to come. Because as we'll see, the seals were bad, the trumpets were bad, but the vials, the bowls will be worse. So let's pick it up at chapter 9. The fifth trumpet releases the locusts from the bottomless pit. Look at verses 1 through 3. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Notice, a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him, the star, to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth. I mean, like it's already been pretty much ruined or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. There's that seal. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. i got to tell you, I don't understand that. I don't understand that. How can you want to die and you can't find a way to die? It, it, death flees from you. Then verse 7, The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair. And their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was the sound of chariots and many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were, there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. And they had as a king, everybody say a king, over them the angel of the bottomless pit, the star, the personage, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Wow, what does all of that mean? Put yourself in my shoes, y'all. I got to take you through this stuff. Now, the star is a being, an angel. And, and this angel is a king over these locusts. He's the king, the angel of the bottomless pit, Abaddon, Apollyon destroyer. Now, he fell from heaven. I believe this is the devil. This is Satan. And I do not believe these are actual locusts. I know I just said we need to go literal as much as we can. And they could be, perhaps this is the way they look. But there's one interesting scripture tucked away in Proverbs 30 verse 27 that you have to wonder, why did God put this little nugget in Proverbs? It says that the locusts do not have a king over them. And yet they move in swarms. Fascinating. Locusts don't have a king, and yet the locusts in Revelation have a king over them. I believe these are demonic spirits 
that are released into the earth at this time. Satan comes in great fury and wrath, and he releases these destroyers in the earth. And then verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. So you have this other warning. There's two more coming. The sixth trumpet releases four angels who had been bound at the Euphrates River for God only knows how long. These angels have been restricted at the Euphrates, which is a very important river in the Bible. We see it in Genesis at Eden, and now we see it in Revelation. And there's these four angels who have been stuck there waiting for this moment. Verse 13, Then the sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year, for this very moment in time, were released, listen, to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. But these three plagues, by these three plagues, a third of, the, of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents, having heads, and with them they do harm. Now let me finish this up, 20 through 21, and I'll make some closing comments. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, listen, listen. What we just talked about, imagine witnessing this firsthand. The rapture's taking place. You know there's a God in heaven who is controlling all of this. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons. And idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor walk, hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries, which is pharma, pharmaceo, drugs, or their sexual immorality or their thefts. I'm just telling you, if you don't want to serve God, you don't have to serve God. You can serve whoever you want to serve, but you're going to serve somebody. And here in the middle of the great tribulation, with God pouring out wrath on the earth, men say, I'm still not going to bow the knee. I want my stuff. I want my gods. I want my own way. I want my immorality. I want my drugs. I want to do things my way. Just like Pharaoh resisted the mercy of God, men will still resist the mercy of God. Is that amazing? Stand with me right now. The bottom line is this. 
you got to make up your mind now. I'm going to serve the Lord. As for me, Joshua, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I mean, y'all can do what you want to do. You can run after the Antichrist. You can serve your flesh. You can worship false gods. You can say, I don't have a God. And in a sense, you become your own God, which really means the devil's your God. Your flesh is your God. You're exploited. You're tossed about with everything that he throws your way. So you, you can choose to live that way, or you can choose now to say, I bow the knee. Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. Because one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Are you with me? It's just a matter of when you're going to do it. And I just want to make sure I'm on, I'm on this side. I'm in heaven, man. I want to be. And I probably won't be looking over the mezzanine. I'll be looking at the Lamb and saying, here I am, Jesus, because of your mercy and your love and your grace. And, you know, seven years will be like that in His presence. A million years will be like that in His presence. I'm glorified in a glorified body. I'm going to live forever. I'm before the Lamb of God. I'm with my brothers and sisters. We've all called on the same name, been in, born into the same family, and, and we're going to forever be with the Lord. I'm just saying... Choose now, because on this side, it's much, much better. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the warnings that we see in Revelation. Lord, even during the great tribulation, there are warnings. The trumpets are warning. The angel saying the trumpets are about to sound, they're warning. They're warning. People, get ready. you got to turn to the Lord. It's your only hope. If it's their only hope then, God, it's our only hope now. If, if you're their only hope then, you're our only hope now, Father. We want to turn to you. We want to serve you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God. We want to be ready. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let it be done. Let it begin right here in my life. Let it begin in our church. Let it begin in our community. Father, let us spread the gospel of the kingdom far and wide around the world. One church that's local with a global vision, but affecting our local world, Father, powerfully for you. God, convict hearts and souls and minds. Take the scriptures, Lord, and let faith arise in our hearts and know that you're in control. We're turning to you right now. Sing that right now. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed by the preaching of God's Word. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, or if you plan to attend one of our services, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.